Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. It's our mission here to facilitate OSINT for everyone. We'll be hearing from industry experts, community leaders, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, I am joined by the researcher with a thousand names. In fact, it said, if you say their true name out loud, the dark net itself will rise to the surface and completely change life as we know it. Levy, how's it going? Hello, I love that. That's my new favorite introduction ever. Also, no one can pronounce my actual name, so it works really well. <laughs> so the so the surface net is safe for now. For now, for now. Though, I, like I tell everybody, uh, if you can find it on the dark net, I can find it on the clear net easier. So it might not be as safe. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm super excited to have you have you on and just have a conversation with you. Um, I think anybody that has heard your name associates you, you know, with Darknet, with your research, mm-hmm. with your trainings, with your DEF CON talk. Uh, and we could certainly talk all day about that, but they wouldn't be like all the other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt you, everyone, anyone who knows me knows that I'll never shut up about it. So by all <laughs> means, whatever you want to talk about, really. Yeah. Um, and I think anybody that you know, digs a little bit deeper than maybe a DEF CON talk or a training, um, knows that you're a fascinating person with a lot of other things to talk about. So I thought maybe we could hit on some of those things today and just see where the conversation takes us. Yeah. Okay. So we can't talk about Levy without talking about Darknet, but we'll try to talk about all the other things, you know, around that. So your a researcher focused on darknet um let's just let's go into some of that i think when whenever you see your researchers on you know tv and film you know they're in an office or a lab or a van or yeah they're they're (laughs) but they're surrounded by other human beings they're a part of a team and it's a very human experience but reality is fairly different than that um if you are Mm -hmm. If you're any kind of digital researcher, you're probably working alone. Um, yeah. You want to just talk through your experience there and maybe your take on that? Sure. And just to expand that, I don't even think it's just digital research anymore, right? After 2020 and COVID, a lot of everything kind of went remote for a lot of people. So I, I think it's a good topic to dive into. I've done since it's me, darknet research uh, for years. And most of it I've done alone. Uh, I also do some research into uh, terrorist organizations in the past, I've done that, um, and how ideology uh, ideologies move um, the or impact the movement of terrorist organizations. I've also done research into other topics like machine learning algorithms. I'm a big fan, most people don't know this. I love games. Um, which I can't tell you what it is. I always say it's generative. I say it wrong every time. <laughs> so, but it's a, it's a machine learning methodology that you create things to trick the computer into thinking they're real. And my favorite thing to do, 
I've done it to make CAPTCHAs to break CAPTCHAs, but my favorite thing to do is to make new Pokemon. So um, there's that. But a lot of that stuff is done alone. And I've, I've done a lot of machine learning with a team um, at Sales Lab that I've worked with where we talk about uh, threat intelligence and how to analyze and do certain machine learning topics. But even when it wasn't COVID, we were doing a lot of that stuff remotely already um, because we had people, researchers in different states or different parts of the country or the world. Um, so you get some interaction with people in that you're talking with them. And going back to the dark net, I get that too when I'm doing investigations on Tor or Freenet or I2P. I'm talking to people. Uh, I'm not talking to them as Levy, but I'm talking to them. <laughs> um, I'm interacting with people, but there's a certain level of separation. And there's a bigger level of separation between me talking to someone during an investigation on Tor than there is to me talking to another researcher in the lab I help, I work with. Um, or if I'm volunteering, I another thing that may be synonymous with me or not is that I do a lot of volunteering for the Instant Lives Foundation. Um, and I we're I talk to them remotely most of the time when I whenever I'm doing remote activities. There's a lot of engagement there, but there is still a level of separation. Um, in the same like Trace Labs, when I, I've done the Trace Lab CTFs, which are super fun, I've actually had teams that I've worked with for some of the CTFs that all were remote. So it's a really interesting dynamic how we interact remotely and how that impacts uh, the direction we're going in, right? Um, our mental stability in the line of work that we're doing can differ based on if we're doing it alone or with people and how close we are to those people, both emotionally, mentally, and physically. And I think I totally took your question in a different direction than you asked it. So, and that's why you're an amazing it? guest. <laughs> it went off. off. Yeah. It was like, oh, these yes. the no, red often, strings are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, oftentimes the guests have way better questions than I do. So it works. Uh, you You hit on something really important there. You mentioned the the effect that that isolation or that sort of, you know, being a wolf pack of one can have on your mental health, on your psychology. How does that manifest itself during an investigation? Like, do you find yourself like more engaged because like that's your interaction or less engaged? How does that work? So, um, caveat on this is that it's definitely going to be different for everyone right and in my experience it's different per the situation so if i'm doing an investigation via a trace lab ctf where we are trying to find a missing person i have a different mindset going into it um i'm i'm looking at okay if i was this person what kind of hints might i drop if i'm actively posting and I try to get into that mindset. And that can be dangerous for some people because if it's a really, what's the word I want here? If it's a really dark story, it can be difficult for people to get into that mindset and then to get out of it. Um, I know, for example, I actually ended up getting my mother involved in the Trace Lab CTFs because she has the magic power of Facebook. 
I don't know if you know this, but all moms have a secret certification in Facebook stalking. Um, as, as, it, as it turns out, um, OSINT was invented by moms. Most people don't I'm know that. Sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's accurate uh, until proven otherwise. But she's always been great at this. So I, I was like, you have to do this. So she got into the CTFs and she's actually done pretty well. But she gets so emotionally invested that she'll just keep following the stories trying to see if these these kids or these people are getting identified and found and brought home. And any time the news has, has a name in it that she recognized from one of the CTFs, she'll call everybody who knows that she was doing it and be like, we did it or this happened or whatever. She gets so excited and it's great, but it's an emotional toll because in the same respect, after a CTF, she can have a really hard time getting through those stories. Um, bringing that back to me, I don't have as much of a hard time with the Trace Lab CTF, but I do a lot of investigations solo on the dark net where I'm interacting with known bad actors or malicious people. And some of them are trading materials that are illegal or explicit, or they're talking about acts that they've done, or they're planning to do something and to not be super vague. I'm going to bring this back to cybersecurity. Um, and let's say I'm talking with somebody who's actively trying to teach people how to hack into a corporation and they're, they're giving demos and they're talking about stealing ident uh, not, well, identities or materials, or maybe they're planning to put something on someone's laptop that to incriminate them. All of this stuff can take a toll because if I want more of this information to act on, to turn over to law enforcement, whatever may need to get done, I need to play into that role of being on the side of the bad actor in most cases. In some cases you can be antagonistic and people are trying to prove their bravado and they'll just tell you whatever. But in other cases, you've got to play that role. And that can be really difficult to deal with because you've got to get into the mind of a bad actor. Um, you started this with the introduction of a thousand names and that's probably more accurate than I'd like to admit. <laughs> I've got a lot of personas that are out there and each one of them, I call them personas because they all have their distinct personalities, distinct ways they talk, distinct ways that they spell, that they interact, their grammar is different, where they're from, what times they get on is different. And that alone is keeping all of that straight first off, <laughs> but also just keep going with that can be really taxing because if I make a mistake, I can burn not only a profile, but an investigation. Um, and depending on wh who, what kind of people you're conversating with, that can be considered really dangerous. Um, so it is definitely mentally taxing from all fronts. And in, like I said, it's gonna be different for everybody. And what I try to do is I try to keep everything pretty organized. Um, but I also try when I'm in an investigation to sink into those personas um, and to become whomever I am typing as. That way it's easier. Once, once it's established, it's a little bit easier to put on that mask, not a, not a, a COVID mask, <laughs> a Halloween mask, be this person, do what I need to do, gather all of that and then analyze it separately. And I think that's the part that's been the most helpful for me and my mental well-being is not to be analyzing it actively unless there's a huge red flag. 
Um, because then I can I can take off that mask and look at it in a different light, but have all of the context, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that makes total sense. By sort of going all in on these investigative personas, it sounds like it makes it easier to leave that persona when you close the Tor browser. Because it, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't you interacting in a terrible way with terrible people. It was, mm-hmm. you know, this this cutout. So yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like a pretty effective coping mechanism or technique. I'd also say dangerous. <laughs> that, and I, again, you yeah. have the better questions than I do. That was my next question. <laughs> so if, yeah. if you wanna... So I definitely see it as being kind of dangerous. Um, I... There's some people who are going to be more susceptible or more empathetic than I am in certain situations. Um, And having that mask can be hard for some people to take off. Or it may start being kind of, (laughs) if you've ever seen the Phantom of the Opera where half of his face is a mask and the other half isn't, that's kind of how I can see it happening for some people, where it starts to meld too much with who you are. Um, And... In those situations, I would not recommend this method at all. I don't even know that I'd recommend this method in general. And when I was, when we did the class on uh, the Darknet investigations, the goal was never to teach people this method. Um, Because I do this and I've done it for years and now it's a pattern to me and it makes sense to me. But I definitely know people who are more empathetic than me. Like I mentioned my mother, I have friends who I've, who have gotten into OSINT and they're more empathetic than me. And I think this method of taking over a full persona would be detrimental to them. And the way they go about it in that they have a persona, they have fun with it. They focus it in on aspects of areas they know, like I have a friend who's really into anime. And so they made a persona for their Facebook account, sock account that was all anime all the time. And it was crazy. And they were able to express themselves as part of that, but keep it separate because it was an area they knew. So they didn't have to put on a full mask, but they just had to be careful about what they else they said and what other information they gave out. And for me, that doesn't work because I... Like, I'm going to say it's more of my own um, OPSEC. The way I talk on podcasts, the way I talk on Twitter is not the way I talk to people in my regular life. So everywhere I'm interacting is kind of a piece of a puzzle. It's a little bit of the persona. Whereas I have friends who in their sock accounts, you, I can tell, at least because I know them so well, that that is them hidden. But a rando stranger is not going to see that. And to me, that's more dangerous for OPSEC. But for them, my method is more emotionally and mentally dangerous and taxing. So you've got to do it the best way for you to handle, but also the safest way for you and the best way that goes with that situation. I would never recommend my friends go on the dark net and do that, (laughs) for example. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you definitely need to sync up your methodology with your threat model. So it sounds like yeah. the the situations you find yourself in, 
the way you're going about it is absolutely necessary to protect the investigation, to protect yourself. But for the average person competing in a trace lab CTF, that level of separation might not be necessary. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there needs to be some level because you need to be able to walk away at the end. If you've dealt with a really dark story, you need to be able to get up and walk away. And for people on my uh, Trace Labs teams or friends I've gotten involved in it, if they're really struggling, I'm like, you have to walk away because this you're just going to take this with you. Um, so beyond how you mentally deal with things in the investigation is the aftermath, right? How do you how do you walk away from that? Not just get up and leave your computer, but like mentally walk away from it. How do you let that go? Like drop that baggage? Because people can get fanatic about it. They can really hone in on it. There are whole groups on Facebook or Twitter who go after this. Actually, there's a website for missing persons that all of the these people are doing is just hunting for missing people. And you can tell that for some of them, it is their life's work. And they can't walk away from it. And so if you have someone who's just already mentally struggling because of this dark situation they stumbled into, how do you deal with that when the CTF's over? That's that's the that's like the next area of mental health and mental well-being with this stuff. You have to have coping mechanisms in place. And not just for Terry Slab CTFs, but for any of the OSINT investigations. If it's something lighthearted, like you are trying to find, I say lighthearted, that's probably not the best phrasing. Let's say you have somebody who's reached out to you and they're like, I need to find where this bracelet is sold. It's a rare bracelet. My friend said it's only found in Europe. Find me where to find it. I'm like, okay, let's go through all these steps. That is easy to walk away from. Here's your bracelet or here, I can't find your bracelet. These are the, these are the answers. Somebody had asked me to find a Russian sub for sale. That was easy to walk away from. <laughs> it was, here's a website. Here's a, a decommissioned Russian sub. I don't want to know what you want to do with it. Bye. <laughs> um, but then you have people like, my daughter's gone missing. I need help. These are the situations leading up to that event. And if that is, if we have evidence that this person was kidnapped off the street or this person was dragged into a alleyway or whatever that is a lot darker and it can be to use the internet phrasing triggering for people if you've had any bad experiences people with um, ptsd any of this stuff that is an area you need to either walk away from and not involve yourself in or if you can handle that then you need to be able to cope with it after the fact. Otherwise, that stuff weighing on you can get dark in your own life and really just drain your existence back into the ether. Yeah, and I think that this is the part that most people don't think about when they're getting involved. You know, they're like, oh, you know, what tools do I need? Like, how do I get a sock account? You know, what do I need to know about Darknet or Google Dorks? Or there's a lot of preparation that goes into, you know, becoming an investigator to beginning yeah. an investigation. But I don't think anyone or certainly not enough people give thought to what you just described to us. 
Yeah, I, I'm tending to agree with you on this one because I haven't heard too much about this. I feel like if you talk to law enforcement, people who this is their job to do investigations in really dark subjects, I feel like you might hear it a bit more there. But still, I, I don't think it's a subject we talk about enough because someone's got to do the dirty work, right? Quote unquote dirty work. But how do we help those people? And uh, there's a big stigma in general out in the world, um, at least in the US area, uh, against like mental health and mental wellness and seeking counseling or therapists or the other terms. And I, I'm glad to see that that seems to be slipping away in that people are talking about it more upfront. People are giving advice on how they deal with situations. You have more people openly admitting to going to therapy, but you still have pushback from people who don't understand. Like I, I know people who will tell someone, look, it's okay to go to therapy. You need help on X, Y, or Z, but they will refuse to go for the exact same reasons they're giving advice. And they cannot tell you why they're just like, I don't need it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need it. But meanwhile, they're experiencing almost exactly the same thing that the person they just told to go is experiencing. And it's like this ingrained thing in our subconscious from just societal norms that we are starting to change. Um, I never say break because they're they're fluid, really. Society changes over time in general. So these societal norms are just changing. And... I'm glad that we're talking about it more, but in this area specifically, we definitely need more open communication about OSINT, investigations, all levels of the internet, all levels of our investigation types. We need to discuss more. How do you cope with it? And how do you feel more comfortable, you being the collective internet, the ether? How does the ether feel more comfortable about going to therapy or counseling or what have you. Yeah. And I think that's why OSINT is a double-edged sword to use the tired Absolutely. expression. Um, because anyone I can like do swords, it. So. <laughs> but because anyone can do it, anyone can get into OSINT. That means that people that don't have the coping mechanisms that maybe aren't in a mentally good place to be experiencing this there is no gate you can mm -hmm. just find yourself in way over your head in the blink of an eye so it's a uh, like i i described it in our pre-show stuff as an event horizon that mm -hmm. every inv every investigator just kind of teeters on do you want to speak to that a little bit maybe with your own experience like what is the tipping point where maybe you you know you found yourself or other investigators like in over their head in too deep, are there sort of checks and balances you put in place for your own investigations? Are there red flags you look out for? Like oh god, I, you know I'm headed in this direction and I know exactly where it goes. Oh yeah, I actually think this is an awesome area to dive into. I by no means, this is my other disclaimer, by no means am I saying that I just got into investigations and I'm totally fine. And I've, I'm not, I'm not, right? Like everybody, like when I got into investigations, I didn't have all of those coping mechanisms in place or any of the coping mechanisms I might have now. 
Um, and when I first got into this, I, like you said, I literally stumbled. There was no gate. I just fell. And on the other side was like a cliff and I just kept rolling like a snowball. Um, and, and that's how like my interaction with Taurus started. So in my life history, I happened to find myself on tour early on and gosh, I've been on tour for 12, way more than 12. I'm a liar. Um, how old am I? Almost. Yeah, maybe about 15, 12 to 15 years ago, I started on tour and I am not that old, but as I always say, I'm not telling you how old I am either. <laughs> and, um, I initially started just hanging out in chat rooms. I was like, this is pretty cool. What is this for? I found out, I learned about tour not through the media, which I, I'm coming to the understanding a lot of people learn about it from, but from the idea of privacy, the idea of um, whistleblowers, people who needed to get news out of areas they otherwise couldn't speak from. So that, that's where my initial framework of tour came from. And then I learned relatively quickly that there's a dark side to Tor, which is ironic because it's the dark web. And <laughs> there's a bunch of people there who, if you go into, there's this, there's a site that's still up. It was one of the first sites I ever visited and it is almost like a chat roulette. And people will just hop in and they'll talk about whatever they want. And one of my favorite questions of all time was what is your favorite Yu-Gi-Oh card? And I always got weird ones and it was great. But one person would like, on occasion, people will just send you random photos. And sometimes there's stupid, benign things. There are memes. There's, um, somebody sent me a Yu-Gi-Oh card picture of a meme card. And then other times there are people throwing CSAM at you. And they're doing it maliciously. But also some of them are doing it to see if you're one of them, if you want to join their community to talk to them. There's a lot of sites about that. And that's really dangerous because people might go on there having no idea that's going to happen. And then you see this material. And how do you deal with that? You have to report it. You're going to have to give over your computer and all this stuff as they investigate everything, verify what your story is, right? To make sure you weren't downloading it on purpose or whatever. But also, how do you walk away dealing with what you've just seen? And I've run into situations where I've heard people speak about children or I've heard people speak about attacking someone or you go on docs bin and they're just giving all these gruesome details of what they wanna to do to people with their phone numbers, addresses and photos in some cases. And it can be hard to just get up and walk away because part of me wants to stay there and get all the information I can so that we can I can send it off somewhere, send it to some law enforcement or track someone down. Or another part of me wants to just sit there and vomit for 20 minutes and then drink some water and do it again. And in the beginning, that was really hard to deal with. Now, I have a deep-seated, deep-rooted passion for identifying human trafficking and child predators. Um, I've had it since before I even knew ILF was a thing. I think technically I've had that passion since before ILF was a thing. So I'm very happy to be working with them and helping them in any way I can. And I was happy to stumble across Trace Labs to help with the identifying uh, missing persons. But on my biggest thing that I've had for years 
um, since I think I really got started on this particular aspect in about 2012 when I was really focused on forensics. Fun fact about me, originally I was going to go into forensic pathology. I was not going to do anything computer related. <laughs> um, but I got really deep into forensics and I was talking with people about what can we do with forensics to combat human trafficking. And I had already been on tour for a while and I was like, well, okay, we, we can do some DNA tests. We can do some tracking of certain evidences and that's great for inside of a state and maybe inside of a country, but what about globally? And further than that, what about online human trafficking? And initially I didn't get much feedback, but I pushed it even further. And I was like, what about dark net human trafficking? Okay, yeah, you can find human trafficking on Craigslist. Horrible, it's bad, we wanna combat that. Not, not minimizing that at all. But, and I hate to use the word but because it always immediately minimizes everything you just said. So <laughs> scratch that. Craigslist, people can be uh, human trafficked to this day, I'm sure. There, there have been cases, there's been full on investigations around it and that is horrible and we need people to work on it. And there are people who are able to see that more easily and work on that because it's part of the clear net. Then there's the dark net where people don't necessarily even understand how to get on it. Free net can be kind of difficult for people, um, for example, but then there's there's investigations that go on there that take so much longer because where is the person? Where is the child? Where is the people being trafficked? Where are they going? There's so many little things. And most of these are hidden behind communities that in order to get the real information, you have to get into the communities. And to get into some of these communities, you have to show that you're part of it, which can be very difficult and not what anyone outside of having law enforcement permission should do. And that's really taxing. So that was, that was the area I started digging into a lot. I wanted to find all of this stuff on the dark net. I wanted to do these investigations to turn them over to the proper law enforcement, be that in America or some other country. And I learned early on that this was gonna be very taxing on my mental well-being. But like I mentioned, I was super, I still am super passionate about it. And so I had to figure out, okay, what can I do to deal with this? And I had a similar issue when in certain classes at the time, uh, we talked about um, domestic abuse or uh, rape cases in my forensic studies. I was like, this can be really mentally taxing. How do we deal with this in order to help the, stop the problem or help law enforcement. And I had to take some steps back and I had to really sit with myself and say, okay, I need to figure out these lines. What lines am I not willing to cross? Well, I'm not willing to actually go out and find materials to give to people to say, I'm part of your community. So what can I do instead? And that's how I'd already been kind of into social engineering, but I didn't know what it was called, but that's how I really got into social engineering. Um, and that's when I think my process of creating these personas really started to take hold. That having that whole different person, that whole different mask was one of the lines. Because if I have to walk away, I need to be able to drop the entire person that was talking. And for me, the easiest way to do that was to take over as someone else. 
So that, that might mean I have a thousand names and a thousand emails and a thousand everything passwords. Um, and that it's true. I have a lot of these things and, and that can be hard to manage, but that was easier to manage than walking with that burden every day. So that was one of my lines. Then I have things like most people who have seen me do streams for ILF know I play horror games. I like them. They don't really scare me that much. But one of my lines uh, is to play these dorky little happy games uh, like what's uh, Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons, which is just this idyllic farming life (laughs) where nothing bad ever happens because it's another level of separation. I can go, I can relax, I can do that. I uh, used to play basketball a lot. I used to do, I do a lot of working out. If I was really affected, I would have to, I would go and I'd do that. Um, I do talk to a therapist. I do, I have brought these things up because it's hard to look at this material. And even if I walk away from that persona and not have it in my head, or when I go to analyze it, maybe it's a whole different level of an issue for me. So it took a lot of time to get where I am with my my different coping mechanisms. And I feel that anyone who goes into this space should have almost, I don't want to add a gate to your point. There is no like gatekeeping. Anybody can get into this. But I feel like if we were going to add a a stumbling block, what are they, speed bumps? Is that a little speed bump that you have to stop at this little speed bump and be like, okay, how am I going to cope when I walk away from this? What am I going to do to move on to the next item? Um, what is my line where I have to stand up? If there's a bunch of people actively communicating about uh, malicious activity, maybe there's a point where there's a line where I have to get up and I have to leave. Or maybe there's a point where I'm like, okay, I need to be here to get this information, but I'm only going to stay here for 30 minutes unless a huge thing happens that I need to record to report. In that case, I will leave app or I'll stay a little bit longer and then I'll leave. Um, So I have time limits on myself. It's one of the reasons certain personas can only show up at certain times is, and they have whole reasons why that if people actually communicated with them and they became quote unquote friends, they might find, figure that out. Um, Like stories, but I have to work these weird hours or what have you. Um, is so that I have to force myself to walk away. It's It's got a time crunch built into it. There's a feature of that. So maybe my coping mechanisms don't work for everyone. Uh, I can recommend everyone get a giant wolf dog. Um, she, very easy to distract you away from these things. Um, but otherwise, that's fine if my methods don't work for you, for example, because your methods might not work for me. But everybody needs that little speed bump to have to look into that, I think. My big takeaway is don't figure this out as you go because it can yeah. be painful and difficult and it can lead you down down a bad path. If you think about these things and view them more as a speed bump, not as a gate, you're just going to have a smoother process you're probably gonna be in a better place no matter what kind of an investigation you're doing yeah and i think that would be a takeaway i'd hope people would would get from this is that do not be like levy um levy did this learned these as they were going um 
And I don't recommend that. I think really add that speed bump, make it, make that your initial coping mechanism of stop, think about it, think what you need to do for yourself. Mental health is hard, man. <laughs> it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. I don't know if anything really is, even those weird pants people used to sell. Everything is like custom, right? Everything's customized. Nobody wants to go out and buy something that they say that someone's like, this is perfect for you. And then maybe it works for your best friend, but it never worked for you because it's not custom, right? Uh, it's the same reason that you have fads going in and out all the time because nothing is for you. It's, it's the cookie cutter. Personally, I hate cookie cutters. Um, I, would, I want everyone to find the thing that works best for them in this kind of realm. And I'm hoping it's, here's the, the real double-edged sword from how I'm looking at it. I don't want people to deal with all of the things that I've seen, but there needs to be more people looking at it to combat it. And that's a big double-edged sword. And I think that's really where we need, we need more, um, more force in the community of O-Centers to really talk about the mental well-being. It's a topic, like we've mentioned, I haven't really heard many people talk about it or bring it up. I, I hear some people talk about uh, needing like a mental health day, which is valid and very important, but I don't hear them talking about why they may need that because of OSINT or because of what they're doing for volunteering for their job, et cetera. Um, and personal privacy, sure. You don't have to go into any specifics, but I think if we as a community bring up the fact that, hey, this happens and we need to address it and we need to encourage people to look out for coping mechanisms, to go for therapy, et cetera. Um, I think we're just be doing a better service for all of us. Absolutely. One thing you're known for, aside from Darknet, obviously, is your volunteer work. Do you want to speak Another at a thing high I don't level? Shut up about. <laughs> Would you want to speak, even at a high level, even if it wasn't about ILF specifically, but just about volunteering, about getting involved, about the the impact that we can all make? Because I think there's this stigma of, oh, I would love to do that, but there's no way I can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I do heavily, heavily talk about the ILF if you follow my Twitter. There's two things you'll hear about constantly is Darknet and I love. Um, but I do have other volunteer efforts um, and I have done other efforts in the past. So talking at a very high level, um, this kind of dips into imposter syndrome of I want to do this thing, but I don't know if I can, or I don't know if I have any skills I can share. And uh, the nicest way to say that is stop doing that <laughs> um which doesn't help but so anyone if you have a thing you're passionate about and you want to work towards let's say it's building more community uh tiny libraries right because i love those things and for those who don't know what they are is it some you just put like a extra large birdhouse and you cut open the side of it and people can put books in and take books out. And it's supposed to be a community thing where you're not expecting them necessarily to be returned, but you're expecting everybody to have the opportunity to find a new book and you're sharing books, you're sharing information. Um, and it's a community thing. And people put them out in front of their yards and some universities put them on their campuses and they're great personally. I think they're fantastic. 
Uh, better to see that than a book go into the garbage. Now, let's say you're super passionate about that, but you're like, I can't build that. I don't know how to do any woodwork. All I can do is I'm really good at painting. Okay, so go find somebody to build it and then paint one, right? And that's this is just a very high level example, but your skills, whatever they are, person in the ether that I'm talking to, um, your skills are necessary somewhere. Maybe you're great at making different voices, like different accents. And you go and you learn how to do vishing and you can use that to help. Uh, you can volunteer to help and it involves vishing somehow. That is an amazing skill. A lot of people have a hard time switching between accents, switching between tones. That can be incredibly helpful. Or let's say you are an excellent writer and you want to help out this technical organization, I can tell you firsthand, a lot of technical organizations are not the best writers, <laughs> um, be that for work or volunteering. So if you're a fantastic writer, but you're not a technical person, you can help someone by helping them write up their message, making it clearer for the audience. Um, graphic design, you can do any of these things. If you are a singer and you want to help a technical group, you can help them by um, building up that community, sharing it with your community. You can sing a song about it. You can write music. You can, anything skill you have, and everyone has skills, any skill you have, if you're passionate about something, there is a way to meld those two together. And it's the creative processes that people have to make that work when the puzzle pieces aren't perfect fits that actually tend to be the most useful, I think. Somebody who can write a song about how much Chris Hagnagy loves pineapple pizza is going to get so much more attention to the Innocent Lives Foundation. Thank you, Neil Fallon, than if we just keep saying that he loves it, right? Um, like that's just a great example in my in the past that has actually happened. That is just an example. Everyone can do something. So um, I, I'd like to say throw away imposter syndrome. I know it doesn't work that well, but I just have to underline it again. If you have a skill and you have a passion, the way that you as an individual get those two things to mend and mold together is probably going to be more creative than what someone in either field is going to come up with. And that's going to make it even more impactful. And your passion is going to fuel that. Um, so I think if someone's passionate about something, about Trace Labs, about ILF, about um, anything, name any organization, Thorn, um, what have you, uh, they should talk to that organization, be like, how can I help? Because even just talking about the organization can help. And anybody with a Twitter platform, even if you have zero followers, you can help by just spreading that word as an example, any social media works. Yeah. So it sounds like people should find the cause they're passionate about and then consider their skill set. Don't, don't try yeah. to do it the other way. Don't try to figure out, okay, well, I'm a web developer. Where can I help? Instead, say, hey, I'm really passionate about the ILF's mission. Okay, how can my skills be of use to that? Yeah, that's what I would recommend. I would say maybe somebody like 
podcast. Maybe you have a podcast, but you don't think that can help somebody somewhere else. Well, you, if you love this organization, you as an individual, no matter how many followers, et cetera, you may have or may not have, or what community you may or may not be part of, you have the ability to spread the word to people who otherwise wouldn't hear it. And that alone as an initial stepping point is tremendously helpful. And then you're like, wait, I have these skills. How can we use these skills? And then you can figure that out and that's gonna be even more helpful. And honestly, it's, it's find your passion and then figure out how your skills make it better. Awesome. On the pre-pod, you'd mentioned a book you were reading that might tie some of these things together. Do you want to talk about that? So this is a book recommendation. I'm actually reading it right now. Um, it's called Lurking, How a Person Became a User. It came out February 25th, 2020. It was written by Joanne McNeil. And it's kind of about, um, we had mentioned this pre, pre-pod that there's people who will get into OSINT and they'll feel like they're part of someone's life because they're just, they're following all these activities, right? And that's kind of what this book is about is how a person became a user in that you are an individual, but in an algorithm, you are these pieces of data. You are um, what your favorite color is, what pictures you post, what dress you're wearing and you're influenced by similar pieces of data. Now, is that who you are? No. But that's how computers see you because computers see everything as data. And then if somebody's on the other side of a different computer screen, they're looking at pieces of data about you, never the whole picture. And what happens when we, we dive into that data, not only do we lose the picture in some cases of who we're looking at um, as a whole, but we can also lose the image of ourselves because we're so deep in the ones and zeros and the pixels and all that stuff that it can be really hard sometimes to get a clear image at the end of the day. And I think that this book so far, because I mentioned it and finished reading it yet, is really interesting um, in that it's, it's talking about how someone went from finding a old plane ticket in a book they bought from a secondhand store to tracing down the person who owned that ticket and figuring out like where they lived and what they kind of what their social media was. Um, and that may sound a little creepy, but that's what OSINT is, right? Like you're finding a piece of data and you're tracking it down. And just to tie in uh, the magic power of of Facebook OSINT that all mothers have instantly. As soon as you're a mother, you get the certification. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Um, is you may have one piece of data and be able to trace it right back down to the second cousin twice removed that got married two days ago. And now you're telling the whole family about it even though nobody was informed because you're so, you can sink right into it. And then how does that influence you? And what does that mean for that person and for you? Um, we do this at Trace Labs. When you're searching for missing persons, you're looking at all those data points. You're figuring out that life. You're trying to find that person. Um, and like we've kind of touched on today, people can get lost along the way. That's why I think it's a good tie back into 
main focus here being a lot of mental health and mental well-being with this kind of realm. So that is my book recommendation. Well, Levy, thank you so much for spending some time with me. This has been an amazing conversation. This is normally the part of the pod where I'd say, oh, where can people find you? Well, <laughs> good luck. The Instead, I'll say, where would you like people to find the persona you set up to be found? <laughs> good question. Um, so the persona set up to have these conversations is um, Levitanen. You can find me on Twitter. It's L-E-V-I-T-A-N-N-I-N. Anyone who can try to figure out what the heck that's supposed to be gets brownie points. Uh, I've had a few people, so Uh, you can find, if you find my little purple spider, generally speaking, it's probably me, (laughs) but always check in. But that's probably the best place to uh, track me down. I'm also in like the Trace Lab Slack um, in, a, in the social engineering LLC Slack. So I'm around. I'm always lurking. Uh, the book recommendation is very pointed. I'm a lurker by nature. Well, I appreciate you, you know, coming up to the surface for an hour today to hang out with me. It's a I lot of fun, to- so no problem. <laughs> I look forward to our next conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a blast. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org, on Twitter, at tracelabs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs>